What's up, everybody? Welcome to yet another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I am Scott Lease. I'm here with my good friend and co-host Richard Harris, and we're excited for another fun edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I think this is episode 10, maybe, of uh, season two. Uh, we are brought to you today and this month by our good friends at Vidyard, at Wingman, which is offering a 14-day free trial when you mention Surf and Sales this month. Uh, as well as Salesforce Revenue Cloud and Lead 411. So check out those companies and the products, and it's a perfect time to explore, uh, you know, some new uh, some new tools to help you get off to a good start in uh, in 2021. And we are here today with someone I have never met before, but I'm excited to talk to. He's uh, a colleague of one of my good friends, Tony Marshall, and Kevin Donville is the Global Director of Pre-Sales Engineering and Solutions Consultant at Content Square. Did I get that right, Kevin? That's a hell of a title. That, that is correct. And it, it's actually about to change here very soon. I'm actually about to be migrating into a slightly new role over here at Content Square. And, uh, and I'm very excited about that. Uh, I'll be moving over into field enablement to be the lead of the field enablement team. Uh, okay. The organization is growing and the demands on the field are getting stronger and stronger. And uh, you know, having somebody in field enablement, someone who's teaching people about methodology and delivery, someone who's actually been out in the field uh, is very important to the organization. So I'll be migrating over to that role here very, very soon. Now, let's let's start right here. What is what does field enablement mean for all the people listening? Because I think people may be thinking, is this sales enablement? Is this, is this the same thing? Very similar. Yeah. So field enablement, sales enablement, very similar, right? Teaching folks best practices, methodology, making sure they have the right tools, making sure they understand how to use the tools and when not to, um, to really kind of put a discipline out there in the field and some standardization of best practices around the way that we're going to market, the way that we're pitching the solution, how we're engaging the sales methodology that we have, all of that. So Okay, so let, I got I to pause. So I got to pause. When should you not use a tool? And when, should you, when should you not use a tool? Yeah. Uh, when you're not in the right stage of the opportunity for that tool, where it would be presumptuous to use it and potentially take you either down the wrong road or get you disqualified because the, the uh, prospect gets the wrong impression, doesn't associate you with the prop with that tool with the right need or the right uh, use case inside their organization. Can you, can you think of a use case where that could hurt somebody? Like I, I love getting super tactical, right? Like for for. Oh yeah, no, 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 that's fine. It's a really, it's a really good question because you know, the, the, everyone thinks, okay, I got the all these quiver arrows in my quiver, I want to fire them. I, you know, I want to use all these different options I've got. But if you're in there talking to a customer and you know, just kind of like using our solution as an example, and you haven't done your proper discovery yet, you don't know really what the environment is you're going into, what their needs are, where their pain points are, and you start pitching a part of the solution that is completely irrelevant to that person. The, you may have tuned them out. Now they're, they're thinking you're the wrong tool, you're the wrong vendor, the wrong solution. So they don't really start giving you the credence or evaluating the things you're bringing to them the right way going forward. So now, this is so tr so true in the in the beginning of a, a sales org as well. Even to the point of like, if you and I and Richard are the first people in the CEO's office or the the head of product, and they're kind of describing what the hell it is we do. And they're going on and on and on and on. And just like, oh my God, it's tuning out. It's the wrong thing for this particular prospect. We don't need to know all that stuff. That's a great, great point right there. Yeah, I call it, I call it that part of, you know, 
feature moment, right? Exactly. And, um, and, and which I did in my mind ties to the other, one of the other pieces you brought up, which is, are we following our sales methodology, right? And you know, most good methodology, I don't care which one you choose, teach you to ask a bunch of questions before you talk about features, right? Exactly. So, um, so anyway, well, well, thanks for letting us dig in on that. I appreciate it. No problem. No, it's, it's a really good question uh, because, you know, it, it actually is something that came up when I was first talking with the field uh, about what it is we were going to do and why we were going to be doing it because similar questions were being asked internal to the organization. Well, what, what's, what's wrong with the way we're doing it today? And it's not that there's anything wrong with the way that we were approaching enablement today or with respect to our methodology. It's just, it could get, it could get better. I mean, it doesn't matter if whether or not you're, you've got it. Something doesn't have to be bad or broken for you to look at retooling. I mean, if you can right. take it to the next level, that's what, that's what matters. Yeah. Not that, that it's not okay the way it is. Right. Yeah. yeah. What is your, when you talk about field, I want to put one more clarity in and then I'll, I'll stop talking. What is, you know, in your mind, as you describe this in the field, right? Are you talking about the dashboard warriors, old school? Hey, look at the kitty cat, cute kitty. Um, oh, yeah. Sorry. Awesome. No, 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 don't apologize. My, do my daughter's cat has adopted me and he, he didn't there you go. Me alone. What, is, what does the field look like in, in your mind? Is it, you know, we got regional people here and there around the country? Like, because I, you know, I don't think a lot of people really know about field sales as much anymore. Yeah. Well, for us, it's, you know, it's a global and it's a global team. It's pretty much everybody from the SDRs all the way down to the pre-sales people, the sales people, even working with the, with the folks who are going to be doing the delivery in many respects, anybody's going to be touching the customer or having an interaction with them. There's an opportunity for us to have some sort of interaction with them as field enablement to help elevate what it is that they do. Uh, you know, and that also extends over to the partner organization. As yeah. I mentioned, you know, I think earlier on today, I said, I'm actually, uh, and this is the reason why I'm wearing my vest is I've got an event I'm going to be going to later on online with a, with members of our partner team. So we'll be working what, with it. What happened to your field team? I promise. Last question. So what happened with the field team? Like 2020 came along and blew it all up. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so being, being in the field now is is a lot of what we're doing here. It's a virtual field in many cases. Now, in some parts of the of the world, for us, that there were areas that were still engaging face to face uh, over the course of COVID, and, and the amount of distancing we needed to do varied from country to country until eventually it just pretty much was shut down everywhere, either voluntarily or essentially operationally. People were just like, "No, we're I don't care whether or not our." regional leaders say we can do it or not we're not meeting people because the risk isn't there so eventually over the course of 2020 we ended up going essentially virtual and uh i'll tell you uh it was enlightening for certain parts of the organization that had not done that had not lived in a virtual type of delivery model uh and they had to make adjustments to do that some folks have done it extremely well for some folks it was a little bit painful at the front uh but we had enough folks inside the organization that had that skill set that, that were familiar with delivering that way. And so we put together enablement around that and to teach folks best practices, how to get used to it, how to get comfortable with being on Zoom, uh, how, how, to, uh, how to wear the fuzzy bunny slippers underneath the desk so that you're comfortable and no one knows that you're, you're like that, but yet you're, you can carry on and have a proper 
meeting inside of the session. And uh, for the most part, I think it's, I mean, most organizations have had to do that over the course of 2020. And the folks that really thrived were the ones that were able to embrace that and modify their sales methodology, their delivery, and the way that they sold to be able to take that into account. Some people struggled, some people didn't. Now, when you go about planning 2021, do you have two different strategies? A, you know, hey, we're going to be in this situation all year strategy. And then the other strategy is we're going to pivot in the summer or in the fall or whatever and, and actually get back out in the field. How does one set the course right now? Well, at the risk of not, we obviously don't want to tip our hand too much to our competition that might be listening because we are in a very highly competitive field, but uh, with, there is a little bit of a mixed strategy there, right? Because everyone's planning for the worst, but hoping for the best. So we have strategies in place around that uh, accordingly. But I think 2020 and having to go as mobile as we did, I think everyone's kind of took a step back and really questioned their old sales models and the way that they were engaging the customers. A lot of customers preferred doing, working this way. Some salespeople were really getting into it. They're like, I'm getting so many more calls done. I'm actually able to get much more intimate with the person because it's just me and them. We don't have to worry about losing 15 minutes of the meeting because we have to get into a meeting room and, and get out of a meeting room. It's just, so some folks really gravitated towards it. So that it will become part of our permanent strategy this concept of having to be virtual, but there's gonna come a time when we're gonna be able to get back in front of people and both marketing, consulting, support, everyone's ready for that. And we do have plans in place to make that happen. So it is a bit of a mixed bag. There's a little bit of both in that, a little bit of both going on there. Um, I wanna know, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say, do you think the customers want you to change back? Like, you know, there's this one piece of it where it's like, maybe the customer doesn't wanna take time out of their day other than a yeah. phone call or Zoom, right? Well, it's funny you would say that because I, I sit in both chairs, right? Because in my role, uh, I'm selling to customers, obviously, but I'm also being pitched to when it comes to tools and, and uh, things that we have to go and arm our own field with. So I'm sitting on the other side of the chair. And uh, as someone who sat on this side of the chair, I much prefer being virtual because I had, I had a crazy day. If I don't have to go and schedule time to go and meet with somebody, that's just bonus time for me. That's time to either get more work done or to actually have a chance to decompress, you know, clean up a little bit early and actually get something else done with my day. And that we're seeing a lot of customers have come to that similar realization, um, particularly in, I would say, areas where that wasn't necessarily so much the case, where people were more used to actually meeting face to face. They're like, this, is, this isn't that bad. We can actually still conduct business. We can still establish a relationship with these people and we don't have to do it face-to-face. Uh, -face. In fact, um, uh, Thursday, I'm gonna be doing, I'm, I'm sure Scott, Tony's told you, I, uh, I have, I'm a, an amateur magician, right? And I do perform magic. And uh, one of the things that I've been able to do is bring magicians to some of the events we've had with our customers to maintain those relationships where we get an opportunity to sit down and not just have the, the usual, okay, we're gonna have a bottle of wine or everyone's gonna have a drink while we're sitting around the Zoom, but I'm you know bringing in magic that I do. I'm a member of the Magic Castle here in Hollywood. So I, you know it's a little bit better than your average birthday clown kind of magician, but I'm bringing in you know guys that I've 
know personally from the Magic Castle. These guys are professionals. They've been on television. They've played Vegas, Atlantic City. They've they've toured the world. They're bringing really amazing stuff, and it just elevates the whole experience we're having with the customers. And it, trust me, there's nothing has suffered with respect to the relationship as a result of anything. It's gotten stronger, and they've brought people into us to participate in these events, people that we didn't even get a chance to reach out to. So they've turned into a real opportunity, not a, no detriment there at all. My son is so 12, what? he loves magic. I'm gonna start bringing him to all my sales meetings, to my first meetings. <laughs> Here's my son, you better be nice to him. Here's a magic trick. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's funny. That's the age I was when I got started in magic a long time ago. That's, that's so strange. 12 seems to be the age. Yeah. 11, Kevin, you mentioned, you know, sitting in kind of both chairs. What drives you the most nuts about being a buyer right now? Oh, desperation. Talk you to me about that. What, what does that smell the desperation feel, sometimes? Smell, what is, what, how does that present itself right now? Um, you can hear the anxiety in the delivery and the person's not listening. You're telling them things and they're just not hearing you. It's like, so what's the timeline? You tell them the timeline. And they're first, before they even find out why that's the timeline, they're pushing the timeline. And I'm like, do you even want to know why I have that timeline before you mm -hmm. tell me I need to, that we could accelerate it? Yeah. Because maybe it has nothing to do with me. Maybe it has to do with funding. Maybe that's to do with other operations we've got going on. Why don't you find out why I'm saying that's the timeline before you tell me you can change it? And that's what I mean by desperation. And it's yeah. frustrating. Now, when you leave that chair, go to a different chair and work inside your org and you hear desperation, is it like 10 times worse because you've just been experiencing it on the other end and now you hear your group doing it and you're just like, no, stop. Uh, it does change the perspective. That's for sure. You do hear it with a different ear now when you hear it, right? Yeah. And, and it, there's a certain empathy that you've now started to build with the buyer. How would I want to hear that? Because, you know, we, as sellers, we want to accelerate the deal, right? We want to move it along as quickly as possible, qualify as fast as possible, close the deal as fast as possible, go on to the next one. But by the same token, we need to, we need to manage the sales cycle. We don't need to bully the sales cycle. And there's a difference. One of, them will, one of them will earn you the respect of the customer and the other one will earn you their ire in a really fast way, right? Um, so there's a fine line you have to walk. I don't mind being pushed if, there's, if you've listened to what I've told you and you're coming back with interesting takes on it and reasons why that you want to change those that are compelling, I'm going to listen. Now, what might, what might that sound like? What, 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 how might one drive some, some urgency in a way that is welcome. So let's take in, into a, like an example. One of the ones that I'm working on, I've got a project where it's around kind of like knowledge management types of tools, right? And there's a timeline that I want to roll things out because I have other things that are higher prioritized. If the person asked me what those other priorities were, found out why they were priorities, listened to what they were, and then said, well, you know, you've got these, you told me the reason why you want to do this project is X. You've told me the reason you're doing these ones is A, B, and C. You know, have you thought that maybe X might be actually more important or why isn't X more important than C? You know, if they actually try and find out why, then 
they're actually trying to get me to understand whether or not that's truly where I want to prioritize that or I want to move it. They're trying to get into the reasons why I've made the decisions I have, why I've got the structure of the deployments that I need to be looking at. And then they're asking probing questions, leading questions, but they're not telling me I need to do it. They're helping me come to that realization on my own. That I actually don't mind because, you know, it shows that they're being respectful. They're asking the questions. They're not being presumptuous. They're not assuming they understand my business better than I do. And that's something that, you know, you have to be really sensitive to. That's interesting because I don't think that there's a, I don't, I don't, I just don't think that when you ask the right questions, you're not forcing anything. Precisely. Right. That's exactly right. Right. You're just like, okay, well, if this is what you're trying to do, let's work backwards from there. Or how does this compare to what you're currently doing based on what I've shown you is what I've shown you better or worse? Like, tell me if it's worse, right? Or tell me what's better. And then, and then Scott, to your point, well, then uh, once you know that, then you say, well, what's the impact of this, right? And as our, as our friend Rob Jepson says, you dollarize it. Well, what does that impact mean, right? Not just save time. Okay, well, how much time? How many people? If those people get that time saved, what are they gonna do with that time? Because I know they got a to-do list 16 miles long. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the end. And so now all of a sudden, you're not really driving urgency. You're just showing them that it was there and they never knew it. Yeah, it's, it's, you're so right, Richard. So, you know, I remember uh, it all comes down to what are you trying to achieve? How, how are you trying to achieve what you're trying to do with the customer? I've been in this industry a long time and it's interesting. I, I, I've hired on a couple of, uh, of younger guys out of, out of Europe and younger professionals who maybe don't have as much experience. And one of the things that's come up over the course of the interview cycle is they ask me about what's my approach to selling. And I know this is going to sound a little trite, but I say, I wouldn't know. I've never sold a day in my life. And they look at me really curiously and they don't know what that means. I said, I solve problems. Yeah. I'm going to find out, you tell me what's broke and I'll tell you if I can help you. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. So I want to pull out of this conversation, um, which, which I, I am enjoying. I want to go back to the sort of pre-sales engineer, right? Mm-hmm. That's your, that's your title. What does that really mean? Like, like for me, that was just someone who did a deep dive demo, right? Yeah. And here's how you connect the API, right? Uh, which I, as a sales guy, I know I'm way oversimplifying it and I could not get things done without a pre-sales engineer, but right. I don't think a lot of people know. Oh, Richard, he's going to jump through the screen and attack you if you That's all right. careful. He's going he's gonna to use a magic trick and make me, you know, you know <laughs> my mouth will be glued. Oh, yeah. That'd be a neat trick. I wish I could do that in real life. Uh, but not to you, Richard. You're not the, only, you're not the only one. You're not the only one. <laughs> no, I didn't mean to Richard specifically. But, Scott uh, does. It's okay. Well, but the, you know, it's, it's an interesting question. Pre-sales people, uh, we're interpreters and we're enablers. That's the way I've always seen us. We're that go. We're the in between between the what business needs, what technology can deliver, and we have to do the translation on the fly of what that means. So it means we're asking a lot of questions and we are having to steer both sides of that conversation to a common understanding. And that's really what it is, is about driving understanding, understanding how the product works. How does it fit to your needs? How does the tech work? Why is that relevant? You know, we should be constantly thinking in the back of our heads, how are we answering the question why to the customer constantly? 
And how are we listening to what the customer is saying so we can do the same thing to the salesperson uh, when we're doing our debriefs and talking to them about what we heard and you know recommendations we can make, how we want to take the next demo, where we need to take the business case. That's being able to interpret and answer that question. That's what we do. That's the important role that we fill. I really love the use of the word interpreter that you said. So many times, we, I think Richard's been in this room before, people ask questions, detailed technical questions, and I'm like, uh, help, yeah. help, right? Like another language. So the use of the word interpreter is just, it's so fitting. I love that. Since, since we all know Tony, how bad of a, of a salesperson is he really? So, you know what, in all honesty, he's one of the best I've worked with. He's got, for, well, first of all, he's an extraordinarily genuine person. What you see is what you get with Tony 100% all the time. And he sells with integrity. He deals with people honestly and respectfully. And that's why he's so effective. He doesn't, he assumes that person is smarter than him, works harder than him, and their time is more valuable than his. And he treats that like they've given him something special just to have the meeting with him. Scott, this might be the first episode we ever have to edit. I, I can't let that go out publicly. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, can't let, we can't let Tony hear that. Right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you know this, Kevin, but, you know, you, you should be thanking me because, you know, Tony was very young when they first hired him for sales. So, um, you know, I probably taught him everything he didn't need to know. So, he, well, he, you he taught him to get well. better after he left me. So yeah. I taught him all the wrong shit. So <laughs> now he's so good. So you can thank me for that. I, I don't think you taught him the wrong stuff, Richard. I find that very hard to believe, having been with you on a number of, of sales cycles in the past. So, uh, but I also think that uh, you got him on the right foot because the, the guy's fantastic. No, he really is. He's a, he's a great guy. And, and, you know, Tony, if you do get a chance to listen to this, we love you. So, um, do you think that, what was the hard part for these field salespeople to really go back in to do this? Like, I just don't get it. I've been doing this all my life, right? I never wanted to be the road warrior on purpose. Um, do you think it was really that hard? Or do you think it was like, oh, now someone can see how much I'm really working. And that freaked them out. Wow, that's a really good question. I don't want to presume because I'm not in their headspace, but I, I can only share the things that were shared during some of the enablement sessions, the concerns that these guys had. Their concerns were they weren't going to be effective. There was a real fear there. Because the you know people like you, Richard, as charming as you are online, you're even far more effective in real, in real life. I mean, I've watched you, you... And, and, you know, you, you read the, the customer, the, the, the connection you make with them is very, very real. It's very tangible. And, and so are most of the really good salespeople that I work with. And they were concerned. They could not achieve that same level of communication with the customer if they were having, having to do this virtually. And I, it was hard to get them to believe in themselves that the way you communicate is the way you communicate. It doesn't matter if it's over a phone. It doesn't matter if it's through a Zoom camera. If you are a good communicator, you're going to do very well. It's not going to impact you. It's just like anything else. You'll eventually get used to it and then you'll move right on. And it'll be like second nature to you. Now, if you're a horrible communicator and you don't have good skills, that's time to be concerned because it'll probably amplify it. 
if you don't have that ability to have a discussion about discovery, to establish rapport with the customer, you're probably going to really struggle because you don't, you're now on the fitting where you don't even have the chance, the opportunity for personality to carry you through. For the, for the cultures and personalities of the sales orgs really disparate when Clicktail and Content uh, Square merged or were they, they very similar? And what was that process like? You've been there for, you know, almost two years post-acquisition now, which is- yeah. It, it, there were challenges for a lot of, for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there were challenges, not going to lie. I mean, under the best of circumstances, a merger of equals is going to have some, some sharp edges on it. Now what worked, I, I'd like to rather focus on what worked well. Both organizations are extremely professional. They're both highly aggressive uh, and they both had good sales leadership in place that had, very clear expectations of the people in the field. So from that perspective, they both had a lot going for them and there was a lot of good momentum that could be brought to the table to make the merger work. Um, the, I, the, the challenges we had weren't from process, they weren't from professionalism, but salespeople are um, competitive by nature. And from that perspective, there was competition between the two groups, which is to be expected. And now all you have to do is take a look at how we did for, for 2020 to see what that means. Now our numbers are still getting cooked. The numbers are still being worked on. The reports and everything will come out a little bit later. And you know we are a private company, but we did extremely well. We had a very good year. And that was because the organization was able to come together as a unit in the field and execute against a very aggressive sales plan in the face of a pandemic. You know, it, you know, yeah. I, I, I can't That's get the too interesting much part the is like six, six months, I mean, six months after the merger, the pandemic hit. The start starts hitting, exactly. Yeah. And then we, and we were in the middle of, of migrating of, customers. A lot of scared people. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we merged the two sales teams. We merged the two platforms. We went through the migration of all of the customers. I actually helped lead the, the, the migration effort. I mean, that was an awful lot of stuff that happened in a very short period of time before the world kind of got turned upside down on its head. And we still kept on performing. We still kept doing what we wanted to do and achieving it the way we wanted to do it. That was because those two teams had a lot of those synergies with respect to professionalism and intensity. So all points were positive from that perspective. What do you, you know, the message changed, right? In April and May, the message was, you know, be empathetic, which it's still, look, it's always, empathy. you know, these troubled times, you know, mm -hmm. we're just seeing how you're doing, you know, we're not trying to sell, we're just trying to, you know, see what you're up to. How are you approaching the messaging with the team now? Like, what are, what are some of the best advice you're giving for, you know, it's, it is January, like it's January, 2021. We all think, you know, April's going to be better and July is going to be better. Right. I think we're thinking right. monthly and quarterly. How do you guys, how are you guys thinking about messaging there? Well, let me answer it. Cause that's a very broad answer, but let me focus it on one particular area. In March, no one knew what the heck to do with this. And that was pretty much across the board, but it was astonishing how fast the smartest organizations figured that out really quick, 
right? And all you have to do is take a look at some of the performance numbers that were coming out from some of these companies that figured it out where they were just blowing the doors out. You know, they, they learned fast. So there's two groups. There's, the, there's that group. And then with them, the question is, is what's your plan? How can we help, right? Tell us what your plan is and let's see if we can't help you guys do that even better. And for the ones that are kind of late to the party, it's the same question, but from a different sense of urgency. In their case, they figured it out, but they figured it out late. So it's like, how do we help you catch up? How do we help you now implement to get current with the marketplace so that you don't bleed anymore? You know, how can we partner with you guys to get you back to success? But so the message is the same, but the, the perspective is how is that message interpreted by the person on the other side? based on their personal circumstances and their professional circumstances. I was on mute. That's my, my fault, Richard. <clears throat> see that? episodes and Scott finally speaks while he's on mute. Richard has like get. 95 of them. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll try to catch you. We'll just roll reverse this year. How about that? <laughs> what, uh, what are some of the new new avenues or, or, or channels that you feel like, um, you know, the team should really start to explore, um, you know, not just in 2021, but maybe even look a little bit further ahead, mm. right? If there's any, right. if there's any prognosticating that you're comfortable with, I'm curious where you see things kind of, kind of going and, and continuing to evolve. So that's a really good question. So let me take one step back before I answer that part. So 2020, I mean, the internet is certainly nothing new and everybody had a plan for, for going virtual. Everyone had a plan for going digital. Uh, at least they better have had, had a plan for going digital. If they didn't, I don't they, know. They better put one together real fast. I yeah, exactly. I think there's a lot of people who thought they had a plan and they realized well, that's, that's the bigger, that's the bigger problem. A lot of people thought they had a plan or thought they had more runway. And, you know, so, so what kind of selling online is all about being able to establish that, that experience, that, that connection with the customer online and getting them to sell. So the challenge people were thinking about was how do I create an experience online that is going to create the emotional connection that, people get by or the satisfaction, the same kind of feeling of going into a store, going through the goods, looking at what's on the shelves. And, you know, there, there's a whole, there's a whole emotional connection to that kind of an experience. Right. And so people were looking at how do we bring that, our brand, our presence, the customer experience to that level online. And people thought they had a certain amount of timeline to do that. And then COVID came around where the only experience you now had with the customer was the online experience. If you did not have a plan in place, you were in trouble. And all you had to do is go take a look at all of those bankruptcies that were popping up being, in, you know, coming up every day. It felt like there was like a dozen more guys that were listing that they were going bankrupt, right? So everyone's had to accelerate their plans. Some people had a great accelerated plan and all they did was they just pushed down on the accelerator and off they went. Those are the ones that are doing well. The folks that were caught flat-footed are the ones that are having a lot more pain right now. Going forward, 
what's going to end up happening is everyone kind of now realizes exactly where this is. And I mean, in 2020, we saw large, large markets buying online that never bought before. I mean, folks that, you know, my, my mom and dad's age, you know, like the grandparents who, you know, would normally not ever think about buying groceries online. Why would I ever do that? I mean, I'm going to go in the car. I'm going to grab, I want to grab my own tomatoes. Yeah. Make sure they're not yeah, I'm sure we've all experienced the joy of teaching our 70 and 80 year old parents how to zoom. What a, what a joy that, that was and continues to be. I, uh, I so trained my mother not to call me for these things. I'm going to send her to Scott from now on. Well, you know, it, oh, here's what it be, 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 my son's in tech, right? My, my son, my son's a, a techie. So I used to get that one all the time. But here's the great thing about that. Uh, my parents are now trying to teach me, which is really hilarious, right? The roles have changed because now they've gotten together in their own community and it's become such an element of the experience in their lives. Now they're sharing best practices with each other. Hey, don't use that tool. Use this tool or don't go over to that store. Go over to this one. I mean, it's kind of brought this whole plane up to a completely different level with respect to expectation now. And that's where things are going to have to change going forward and everything, you know, you're asking, where is this going? The expectations have changed. The game has changed. There's a certain threshold that people are expecting now. You thought it was tough before. I got some bad news for you. It's tougher now. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I'm, although I'm very happy with my DoorDash stock, so good with that <laughs> that's why i bought it because i knew everybody everybody's going to realize how convenient this thing is oh yeah yeah it's it's funny how we're we're, we're sitting around in fact we're just doing it on thursday and our favorite place that we wanted to go and order noodles from they weren't on doordash and we had to sit there and decide okay do we drive down and go get it or do we go someplace else and guess what we went somewhere else right yeah that know, that's what we wanted right yeah, that's funny. I should cut this out because they're a client of mine and send them that. That, that. <laughs> it's, it's a that's a testimonial right there. It's worth gold. Well, I, my, I wear an XL T-shirt, by the way. The T-shirt's XL. <laughs> um, that's fascinating. Super, super fascinating. What? Um, I think. Oh my gosh, we're actually at the time. So I guess we we need to sort of wrap up. I didn't realize it. You make these things easy. Oh, thanks. No, you guys do. This is fun. I yeah. Oh. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, a shout out to our friends at Lead Four One One Vidyard, um, Salesforce Revenue Cloud, as well as Wingman, who's offering their fourteen day free trial. Just mentioned, was it Surf and, Surf and Sail? Oh, there we go. Yeah, Scott Lee's mentioned. Yeah, that. yes, the program is called Surf and Sales, Richard. That's the program that we own. You know, next yeah. time we do that, I'm going to give out. Do you have to put in Scott's cell phone number? Here it is. <laughs> That's the uh, discount code. That's the discount code. Uh, before, so before we go, so Kevin, what, what advice would you like to ask us? You, you've shared so much. Um, is there anything, you know, any advice you'd like to ask of us or something you want to make sure people know about? Well, uh, with, with respect to advice, I'd like to ask you, I mean, you guys see a lot of what's going on. And as I mentioned, I'm moving over into the field enablement area here to go and try and, and make our organization better. Uh, what it, making that kind of transition, what would you guys recommend be the primary focus or the thing we should watch out for? What's the biggest gotcha and what's the biggest opportunity? Let me do the gotcha, <clears throat> Richard, and maybe you do the opportunity. The gotcha would be, um, and I have no idea 
this is going to happen in your organization, but gotcha would be, you know, you get moved into this new role and here's this budget to go get some cool shit and, and make the team better. And you over engineer and over tool the thing. And you end up with all this fancy stuff that is barely used by different parts, meaning Richard uses this one tool a little bit and Scott uses this one tool a little bit. So you're paying for something that you're not getting the most value out of mm. and people barely know how to use it. And some of these tools as intuitive as everybody says they are when they're selling you, they require a little bit of energy and effort. You know, <clears throat> I can't tell you how many times years into a role, <clears throat> excuse me, I've had conversations with reps who are still trying to figure out the proper way to input data into Salesforce or still trying to figure out how to set up a, a cadence in sales loft or something like that. Right. So the gotcha to me is just trying to buy your way out of trouble yeah. and use all these tools and you end up with too many things that people barely know how to use and therefore don't barely use. Mm. Um, so it's not, <clears throat> you should definitely find things, that are going to help your, your company, but I'd roll it out bit by bit and invest in the training to make sure that everybody knows how to use the thing that you bought first mm. and is actually using it. So the adoption rate is high. Yeah. That's, that's, that makes a lot, that sounds like really sound advice. I appreciate that. Yeah. I've, I've been on the receiving end of that strategy where it's, we'll throw tech at it until it goes away. Right. Mm. Yeah. And at the end of the day, everyone's like, all I needed was a spreadsheet. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why are you giving me this? You know, so that's really good advice. I appreciate that. Thanks for the, thanks for that. Yeah, of course. So my feedback on this is, um, and I think it's a great opportunity is to teach folks um, more about the psychology of selling and, and specifically the psychology of buying. How do humans even make a decision? Do you know why you need the whole donut or half the donut? Do you know what you say internally in your head when you used to see that donut in the office? Is the exact same thing, it's the exact same conversation your buyer has when they're about spending a million dollars on software. It's the mm -hmm. exact same conversation. It's just a bigger donut. So I think spending time on teaching them that piece so that they can you know, create that sort of, I call it one centimeter of space between their emotion of what they're afraid of and reality so by teaching them that and then continuing to re-coach on the soft skills, um, then you improve their courage and confidence. And to your point, that's what they said to you is, I want to be here, but I'm a little afraid and I'm not sure how to do it. Right. So it had everything to do with courage and confidence, which is way more than, than the tool, right? Um, and then you can craft that into different elements. So that's that's where I would tell you to, to spend some time as well. Oh, that's good advice. I appreciate that very much. I, I'm actually going to go share that with uh, my partner in crime tomorrow when we when we meet first thing in the morning. Which part, mine or Scott's? Which both, one's actually, both yeah. actually, both we, actually, because we we actually are evaluating new tools as we speak. So uh, <laughs> what Scott was saying was ringing in my ears. But, uh, but more to the point, I have to remember the, the whole reason why we're getting those tools, which I think is the point that you're making, uh, Richard, is that um, don't forget why you're getting the tools in the first place. Yeah. yeah. And who you're, who you're trying to help. Yeah. This, and this, why. Is I, this is what I would tell you to say is like, after we implement this tool, we expect the team to be better at blank, blank, and blank. And if you say qualifying, 
you then have to say, well, what do we mean by qualifying? Like go deeper than that. And then you take those answers and you give it to your vendors and tell them, prove me, prove this to me. And it'll really help you. And then the last thing is you just don't do tool fatigue, right? You can only, I think you can only use one a month, learn one a month at most. And, and then you sort of have to figure out, well, how do you get them all to interact, right? Mm. So um, yeah, I don't know how you're outlining it, but that's what I think. No, uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. I can totally see that. So appreciate that perspective as well. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kevin, man. It's been fun to catch up with you. Yeah, good to catch up. Scott, a pleasure. Uh, I've heard lots about you from Tony. I'll make sure I point out to him none of it was true. So, (laughs) yes, that'd be right. What what, what did you say, Scott? That's that's a whole other. Oh, come on, Richard. (laughs) No, uh, he was uh, was quite quite complimentary of both of you gentlemen. And I appreciate you guys making me feel comfortable coming on board here. And it, it was a blast. Anytime you guys want me back, just let me know. I'd be more than happy to come back on. We'd love it. Great. Thanks so Thanks much. Take Cheers. care.